0: Welcome to the commercial real estate investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Baldrini. This podcast is for everyone who wants to be part of our real estate family and learn commercial real estate investing from A to Z. I'll be sharing with you tips for real estate investing while being mentored by a few people with several years of experience so that you and I can make the least amount of mistakes as possible and succeed a lot faster. My goal is to keep things very straightforward because I value your time and you are here to learn. With that, in the last episode, we started part one of this interview with Russell Gray He went over why this downturn could be worse than 2008. And in this episode, we continue the conversation with Russ and he shares with us how can investors prepare to ride this recession since we are still in the early stages. And we also cover which asset classes could potentially thrive during this downturn. Here we go. How can investors prepare to ride this recession since we are in the early stages and hopefully there is still some preparation that they can do?
1: Well, I mean, I think that there's a thing in business called a SWOT analysis where you do a strengths, weakness, opportunities, and threats assessment on whatever you're doing. If I would have done that in 2008, I would have recognized some of the vulnerabilities that ultimately took me down. So I think, you know, that's the first thing you have to do. You have to just look at your portfolio and you have to say, what if interest rates went up? What if rents went down? What if vacancies went up? What if this local market economy changes? You just have to begin to go through and ask yourself, what are some of the things you're hearing? What are some of the possible or probable uh, outcomes of what's going on? And how would my portfolio respond to that? So that's number one and then begin to take corrective action, whatever you need to do. You're probably going to realize that you've got some things in your portfolio that are marginal. They're not really that strong. You might want to think about getting rid of those. I know my buddy, uh, and I think, obviously, you know, Kenny, Kenny McElroy. That's what he did. Coming into this, he just began to look at his portfolio and say, I'm going to take everything that isn't like top performing, super strong, great market, great tenant, great management, great property condition, anything that isn't top tier, they're all good, but I'm going to take like the bottom few and I'm just going to get rid of them. I'm going to get liquid. Because I think the market's going to turn. I think there's going to be opportunity. I want to get liquid. And that's number two, get liquid. Now, getting liquid can be selling things and sitting on some cash. It could be borrowing. Well, the borrowing is good. If you've still got equity and you've still got good credit, documentable income, uh, and there's loans available for the types of property that you have, and you can lock those rates and payments in long term. Now's a great time to do that. I think you might be a little bit late to the party, but if you can do it, I would definitely be doing it. Some people say, well, gosh, why would you want to increase debt in the middle of all this going on? Don't look at it as increasing debt. Look at it as increasing liquidity because the equity is probably going to end up disappearing, at least for a period of time. You know, as prices fall, your debt's not going to fall. Your equity gets eaten up. So if you can liquidate that equity and protect it from the market, uh, that serves you in a couple of different ways. When in a downturn, when things are tight and things go wrong, it's always good to have some cash. Number two is if credit markets fall apart, which I think is a likely outcome, and it doesn't mean they're going to be gone forever, but it'll be like it was in 2008 where things get tight. We're already starting to see some of that. Then being liquid gives you a competitive advantage. You know, The the debt coming out of the marketplace is going to cause prices to drop because not as many people can compete because they can't get funding. But if you've got cash, then you can take advantage of those lower prices. And when funding comes back, then that puts error back in the pricing and equity happens and you end up, with a boost of equity. You can't have that boost if you aren't able to buy when the air is out of the market uh, and then ride it up. Uh, in terms of the cash flow, I mean, it shouldn't be that difficult. If you can borrow money at 3 4 5%, it shouldn't be that difficult to at least invest in something relatively conservative that cash flows that can give you enough money to cover that after you take into account the tax breaks. So I'm a big fan of Equity arbitrage, where you borrow equity at one price, say 4%, and then you take a percentage of it, in this case, say 50% of it, and you invest it at double the rate, 8%, and there's definitely 8% money out there. Now I've got the other half of the cash out proceeds sitting completely liquid with no payment associated with it because I've covered 100% of the payment on the cash out with only 50% of the cash out proceeds. If you're really concerned about the dollar, and I've been talking about this since we did our Future of Money and Wealth Conference, you could take a portion of that liquid cash out that doesn't have a payment associated with it, and you can go buy some precious metals. Precious metals gives you a place, a home base, where you can pivot into any currency. You can go into the dollar, you can go into the euro, you can go into the yuan if you want it, you can go into any currency you want. So if the dollar ends up in a crisis And the dollar ends up becoming weak and another currency is strong, then you can pivot. Now, again, if you do all your business in dollars, then that may or may not be valuable to you if you have more of an international approach to your investing. Or if you want to just bet on the direction of currency, you could do that too. But I do think it makes sense to hedge a little bit against difficulties with the dollar. And you do that two ways. You do that by being in debt. Debt is effectively a way to short the dollar. Uh, You borrow today's Mm -hmm. healthy dollar Mm -hmm. and down the road you pay back with cheaper dollars. And the other way you do it is with precious metals and real estate and precious metals together gives you the opportunity to combine both. You just have to make sure you've got a plan for the cash flow on the cash out proceeds. So those are things that, you know, I think people ought to be taking a hard look at right now and then don't be too quick. I mean, if you find a deal in a market with a team that makes sense and you can get financing and structure and you feel very comfortable that you can control that property through a downturn, then by all means do the deal, right? Great deals like that don't grow on trees. You go to all the work to find one, do it. With that said, I think that it's not a horrible time to be patient because I, I think that we still have got a lot of insulation from the effects of what's happening, it's, it's a wave. We're not even sure that the health side of the crisis is over yet. I mean, we're just now beginning to talk about opening up the economy. We don't know when people start to congregate if that's going to mean more infections and more lockdowns. And it doesn't matter if you believe that the crisis is real or the pandemic is a true threat or if the lockdowns are justified. Sometimes you've got to set aside your political views or your what you think the people in power should be doing. It doesn't matter what you think. It only matters what they think. And it only matters what they do. And sometimes we can't acknowledge what they're doing because we're so hung up in what we think should be happening or what we, think, what we think is happening that we can't look at what really is happening. And so we're not even sure the economic crisis is over yet because we're not even sure the health crisis is over yet. And until the economic crisis is resolved, you can bet there's going to be financial strain. You can't just print money and paper over everything at some point. Inflation is going to pop up because if you could just print money and solve all the world's problems, then why would anybody work? But goods don't come into existence from printing money. It come Goods and services come into existence when people get up and they actually go to work and produce things. So if we don't fix that, then... Excess inventories and, you know, you hear all this talk about supply chains. I mean, when you have limited supply of goods and services because people aren't working and you have gobs of money that's being printed and handed out for free so that debt can be serviced, the probable Outcome is going to be a rise in consumer prices. And if you're a residential real estate investor, especially like in apartments, you've got to be concerned about that because if the cost of living goes up at the street level for people that don't have assets that are going to go up as a result of inflation and they don't have any savings, then the only thing keeping them afloat is the government handout. Now that becomes a vicious cycle. How does a government wean them off? without collapsing everything. So it's a very, very difficult situation that the uh, people who are controlling the levers, the policymakers are trying to deal with right now. And so you got to stay awake. You got to stay alert. I think you need to stay plugged in, listen to shows like this and hear what other people are thinking and seeing and doing. And then I'd suggest getting into some type of a mastermind group or finding a way to get together with other investors that are also looking at these things and talk and, and kind of rub your brain against other people's brains who are engaged. Uh, I think those are things investors can be doing, you know, pay attention, get liquid, do the SWOT analysis on your portfolio, do deals that make sense, but don't be too hot to take advantage of bargains because I think that, you know, we're a long way from seeing a bottom and there's going to be time. Work more on getting in position to recognize and, and, and see and act on
0: those opportunities when they come. You covered so much just with this question. My last question is, if you had unlimited funds to invest, when do you think will be the best time to invest during this crisis and which asset classes would you focus on?
1: Well, I mean, I think if you know how to raise money, technically you do have unlimited funds, and that's why I'm such a big fan of syndication. You can really... Do anything you want that makes sense. I think that part of it is it's about you. I'm I'm a big believer in personal investment philosophy. So just because you can make a bunch of money, if you have to deal with a geography or a political environment or a demographic or a set of problems or people that you would just prefer not to, then no matter how much money you can make, the deal doesn't make sense. So spend some time figuring out your personal investment philosophy. I think that starts number two is once you figure that out, what you would like to do and where you like to do it, then I think that you, you, know, you got to kind of figure out what it is you're trying to accomplish. If, if you're a little bit more speculative and you're trying to get in on the ground floor of a, a market that could emerge, you might want to take a look at the re- domestication if you will of manufacturing. I think one of the things that happened in this COVID-19 crisis is we found out that China's not our friend. We found out that we were dependent, are dependent on China for certain key things like medicines and medical equipment and masks and, you know, all that stuff, personal protection equipment they call it PPE, uh, and probably a whole lot of other things. There was already a little bit of a movement towards bringing manufacturing back to the US. I think that that is a is something that's going to grow in popularity as a result of this. So, there could be markets that have been very looked past, you know, low uh, property prices and decent population, decent transportation infrastructure, but a great place to put a manufacturing plant, which takes up a lot of land. And so, states that have good uh, business climates inexpensive land, decent labor force, and access to transportation infrastructure to ship finished goods, I I think could end up being winners. You could also look for things like I talked about earlier, where there's a a trend growing out of this crisis, like the residential assisted living, where people are going to be trying to get their folks out of the big boxes into the smaller properties. I think, you know, I was already a big believer in residential assisted living for other reasons. Now I think that that opportunity actually gets a little bit better you know so you could be looking at those types of things obviously my partners and i were big proponents of resort property and yet the country that we chose to develop in uh, never occurred to us that they would completely shut the borders and and block all tourists from coming so our resort has been 100% shut down Uh, so, you know, you just, you, you never really know, you know, what's going to happen, but fortunately we structured ourselves in such a way that, you know, we don't have a a big debt ticking time bomb. It's obviously difficult when you're not generating any revenue. And again, no, no business is geared for no revenue, but if you're structured right, you, you know, even if you end up in the wrong place at the wrong time, you could, you can usually weather the storm and hopefully we, we will, I think there's going to be a big opportunity in lending. So, you know, a lot of times real estate investors only think about being on the equity side, but if capital markets end up falling apart, I think there's going to be an opportunity to do private lending, get above average yields without the equity exposure or some of the landlording hassles and risks that you have. And, you, you know, you probably could get a decent amount of protective equity, meaning that people are going to have to come in with bigger down payments. So there could be an opportunity there if you're more of a cash flow investor. Obviously, residential is always a safe place to be, especially multifamily, because institutional money likes that. Uh, government subsidized financing likes that. The challenge in multifamily, of course, is the customer. Some of the folks who are apartment dwellers are going, "Gee, I don't know that I like living on top of so many other people." Kind of like to get out to the suburbs and get a little bit more spread out. So, I, I don't know, really, know that I'm I'm quite ready to say where I think the best opportunity is going to go. It goes back to what I said earlier. This is this is something that is evolving and emerging, and I'm spending a lot of time talking to a lot of smart people and really trying to think through where the opportunities are going to be. But just off the top of my head, those are some of the things that I'm I'm thinking about now. You know, I'd be very careful about getting involved in flipping things or even trying to develop product, especially if you're dependent upon takeout buyers with financing because that financing could not be around for a little while. The flip side of that, you may be able to pick up some failed projects for pennies on the dollar, uh, assuming that you've got the cash and you said unlimited money. So uh, you can probably pick up some things that are are going to be seriously distressed that can be finished with cheap labor and cheap goods. And then later on, when things come back around, you're going to be in a good position. So part of it's going to depend on your time horizon, what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, and I think most of all, who you're connected to, because you're not going to do this on your own. Real estate investing is a team sport. And so I will take a great team in a lesser market even in a niche that isn't quite as good. I mean, I wouldn't go into a catching a falling knife or I'm, I'm, I'm trying, to, I don't care how good your team is, when Detroit was you know, sinking fast, almost nobody is gonna figure out how to make money in that market until some of the core issues get resolved. But, but setting something like that aside, and I'm not slamming Detroit because I know that they've been working hard to come back too. My point is, is that pay a lot of attention to your team and let them help you decide where the best opportunities are especially on the property management side, because those are people whose interests are going to be aligned with yours. They make money based on the production of income, the cash flow, uh, the properties being occupied and well-maintained. Brokers, I love brokers, but brokers and developers are interested in getting the sale now. And sometimes they are less concerned with what it looks like for you a year or two or five years down the road. Whereas if you're working with your, your property management team, Uh, or you've gotten yourself positioned with the developers or real estate agents where they value you as a long-term client uh, because you bring something to the party besides just the transaction at hand or you're indexed or tied to somebody who's bringing some of that kind of clout, that long-term relationship clout. Um, I think all things being equal, I would prefer to be focused on my uh, property management team, making sure that I've got a great property manager on whatever project or construction manager if I'm doing development and a sales team. But ultimately, I think I think uh, income is what you're going to want to focus on in what's coming.
0: Russ, you shared so many valuable tips. Uh, I think you can write a mini guide just with this single interview on how to invest during these times and your thoughts on where things are going. Is there anything else that you think is important for our audience to know? I
1: think I've said what I need to say. People can find me. I'm not hard to find, you know, realestateguysradio.com. Listen to the Real Estate Guys radio show and you can listen to us blabber on for an hour once a week. And we've got a big library, as you well know, think that's how we met actually listening to the show. That's how I met Robert. So I love the fact that you're, you're doing this, Steph. I think that it sharpens you as an investor. It gives you a chance to get into a lot of great conversations uh, and it adds a lot of value to the world. And uh, you know, the more perspectives that listeners can have and the more things they can hear and more ideas they can get exposed to, it just makes everybody a, a lot smarter. I'm a big believer in tribal knowledge. So congratulations and keep up the good work.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much, Russ. And I want to also mention that we met, obviously I was listening to your podcast, which is great. And also I went decided to go to your Real Estate Guys Summit at Sea last year, which was incredible. And I highly, highly, highly recommend every person who is interested in getting or who is a real estate investor to join you guys next year, which I believe will be in June or July next year. Is that Yeah. Correct?
1: So the, yeah, this year, this is going to be the first time. This is going to be our 18th year on a cruise ship and the cruise line because of this COVID-19 canceled the trip. And so we can't do it on a cruise ship in 2020. And then next year in 2021, we're going to be back on the cruise ship, you know, presuming that it's safe and all of this crisis has cleared. We do have a plan B just in case that we're, we'll still all get together. Hopefully a year from now, people will be able to get together because there's nothing like that. I mean, it's, it's it's great. These virtual events are great and I'm happy that more people are engaging online and doing conferencing and virtual masterminds. And, you know, we did our Secrets of Successful Syndication virtually this last March. It was a big success. People who wouldn't have normally participated were able to participate. So that was great. But as you know, from having been 10 days uh, in an environment between the hotel and the cruise ship where you're having breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you're out on the beach, and you're having cocktails, and you're in class together, and there's just all that 24-7 conversation going on, there's just nothing like it in terms of building relationships, uh, expanding your understanding, uh, and really coming away. You get, you know, we say all the time, you get more done in 10 days on the summit uh, than most people do in 10 years in terms Mm -hmm. of strengthening their relationships and expanding their strategic network and Deepening their knowledge of real estate investing and, and having their mind open to all kinds of different possibilities. Because, you know, a couple hundred people from all over the world that are investing in different markets, different product niches, have different investment philosophies, and you just can't get to know people like that online or in a 30 minute conversation. It takes like, it's like going to summer camp when you're a kid, but even better. And the people are fantastic. You know, it's high barrier to entry. So the only people that make it in the door are people that have means and have already had a degree of success. It's just kind of a who's who, as you well know. So yeah, we look forward to doing it again. Sad we can't do it this year, but we're going to do the best we can, as I think everybody is. And And hopefully, you know, you'll be back with us in 2021 and maybe some of your listeners will join us then too.
0: I will be there and I hope a a whole gang of us will be there as well. (laughs) Awesome. Russ, thank you so much for joining us today. You provided so much incredible insights into what is going on. I really, really appreciate it.
1: Well, thanks for having me.
0: They have just announced that next year's summit will be actually at a hotel in Belize. I will be there because it was such an incredible experience last year. I hope to see you there. All of the links are under show notes. Make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at montecarlorei.com. And I would like to thank one of our latest reviewer, Craig McElwain. Hopefully I'm saying your name correctly. Excellent content. I have a very different career, but I'm very interested in commercial real estate. I'm trying to absorb all I can, and this podcast helps me learn from the lowest level. Thank you. Thank you, Craig. I really appreciate your review, and I will see you guys next time.